And so I'm going to ask if you will turn in your Bibles, if you haven't already, to the Gospel of Luke, where we continue to proceed in a series of messages that I've simply entitled Follow Me, which is the essence of discipleship. And uh, it's what it means to be a believer, what it means to be a Christian, is to make that decision to put your faith and trust in God's Son, Jesus Christ, not only making Him the Savior of your life by faith, but also determining to follow Him, to daily practice the principles of His Word. And so we're guided by the, the divinely inspired, infallible, and errant Word of God that gives us truth that based, upon which we can base our lives. And so... We open up from Sunday to Sunday portions of God's word and rely upon the spirit of God to speak to us and, and uh, through us by his holy word. You may recall in our previous message that I brought uh, in, in chapter 17 of the gospel of Luke, Jesus was teaching an eschatological uh, discourse on his uh, parousia, if you will, his second coming at the end of time, an exciting portion of the word of God, not always clearly understood, but then again, we're looking ahead to what God's already described is going to transpire. And so when, when Jesus comes again in that second coming to the earth, he's going to usher in the holy judgment of God. He will pour down upon the sinful and rebellious nations, the, the wrath of God and, and pronounce judgment upon them. But at the same time, the Lord is coming to establish his kingdom. And, and we say, praise the Lord. You know, Jesus, as he was teaching, he taught his disciples to pray. And he taught his disciples to pray as it pertained to the kingdom of God. We touched on that briefly last time. In Luke's gospel, chapter 11, verse 2, you don't, or you don't have to go there, but just listen. You know it. You know it by heart. When Jesus is telling his disciples how to pray, he says, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done. You know, I'm convicted sometimes because I'm not always praying just that way. I should. So should you. Every day we should be kingdom conscious. Always thinking not just about what's going on in my life, not just in my community or the world, but thinking in terms of the kingdom of God. How often do you pray? You know, Father, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Here on earth, as it is in heaven, kingdom and the kingdom of God is a big deal. And the scripture makes that quite abundantly clear. So Jesus is describing his kingdom. And, you know, the, the kingdom of, of, of the Lord is manifested in three distinct ways. First of all, we know there's the spiritual kingdom of God. That was ushered in with the very onset of Jesus's earthly ministry. When he came on the scene, preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he was teaching through those beautiful discourses, uh, like the Sermon on the Mount, the, the, the nature of the kingdom of God, the qualities, the characteristics of the citizens of the kingdom of God. So the spiritual kingdom was actually made up of those saints who placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, beginning in Jesus's own earthly ministry there. They chose to make Jesus the king of their lives. And that's the, that's the case for you and me. We are a part of God's spiritual kingdom because in our hearts and our minds, by faith, we accept that Jesus is our Lord. He is our savior. He is our reigning king. He sits on the throne 
of our hearts. But then as Jesus is looking ahead and talking about and, and prophesying in these wonderful words that we find in the Gospel of Luke, as Jesus is talking about his second coming again, he's talking about his earthly kingdom. He will reign on this earth. He will come again. We know at the end of the tribulation period that Jesus will come with the church that has already been raptured and all the saints are there and, and the Lord will descend upon the earth and he will he will vanquish the evil. He will defeat the, the, the forces of evil and sin and he will establish his reign upon the earth for some thousand years. And what a glorious time that will be. We will be here. We will experience that. We will see him in all of his glory and all of his power and dominion. But then that's not the end. That's not where the story ends. Because even after that, in that final rebellion against the Lord and God throws uh, Satan uh, into the fiery pit and that ends the presence of all the evil on the face of the earth. And as we read out of Second Peter there, the disposition of the earth and as it exists in heaven is, is consumed in fire and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And that is the, the, the wonderful eternal kingdom of God in which the Lord will reign. We will be in his midst. God will, will be with us. We will be able to, to, to be in the very presence of God. And what, what a glorious time that eternal kingdom will be where we will be with the Lord and be with him forever. And so we see some of these characteristics that the Lord has is, is given us as we look into the, the scriptures. You know, we know a lot about the nature of the kingdom of God as it's revealed to us. But so often people are asking, you know, when? The thing that haunts a, a lot of God's people is, you know, when is it coming? You know, and, and even Jesus' disciples uh, from the very beginning of the early church, if you would, in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, just prior to Jesus ascending back into heaven to, to be at the right hand of God the Father, the disciples were inquiring, you know, Lord, when will you set up your kingdom? Just just tell us when. And, and, and certainly any of us, if we're honest, we would confess that would be something we'd like to know. When are you coming again? And listen to Jesus' response in Acts chapter 1, verse 6. He says, it is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. In other words, Jesus says, look, I don't, oh, I don't even know. That's not information that I'm carrying with me right here in my manifestation as Emmanuel. Uh, only the Father knows. And so it's for us not to be so determined with trying to determine when, but we also just need to reaffirm in our hearts and encourage one another with the fact that we know that he is coming again. We know by faith that he is coming again. Our lives ought to be uh, seasoned by that, uh, by that very reality to know that this world that we're living in is not the end because the Lord's kingdom is coming. So this morning as we open up in chapter 18, having set that little backdrop there, we find two intriguing parables that, that uh, we'll be looking at, at least the first one this morning, that speak about the coming kingdom and see Jesus knew there would be a period of time there would be a pause between or a lapse between his first coming and his second coming and knowing the tendency of, of people 
even God's people, to get impatient. Like, when is he going to get here? Have you ever had to wait for somebody and wait a long time and you really wanted to see them or, or to do what you were going to do with them? And, you know, so sometimes we, we tend to get impatient and Jesus knew that. He, he understand that. Sometimes God's people be, become weary living in a world that's filled with sin and, and all the forces that seem to be going against the, the tide of the kingdom of God and the people of God. And sometimes it's, it, we, we, gain, we, we become weary. And Jesus gives these parables to encourage his people to, number one, be persistent in, in, in watching and waiting and not just that, but in praying and praying and believing. Despite the hardships that we endure, the trials, the temptations, and, and the persecutions for some believers, listen, every Christian of every generation ought to pray. Pray. and Keep praying. Because we know that our good and righteous God hears the prayers, every prayer of every believer, and he will answer those prayers. So as we wait for the Lord to come again, our duty is to pray. And, you know, we, we just have to be careful because we know that there are those around us who are constantly, you know, trying to, to, to counter the message of the gospel, to counter the hope of Christ coming again. We have naysayers today who will say, you know what, he's not showing up in 2,000 years. Do you really believe, do you really think that he's coming again? Folks, this is not anything brand new before we launch into into Luke chapter 18, let me take you back to 2 Peter. Part of that was reflected in our responsive readings, and I really appreciate, appreciate that. It sets the tone for what we're saying. But, but listen, there, this is not the first time that people have taunted God's people over the issue of the coming of the Lord again. I take you back to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, where Peter says, Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I would stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were and from the beginning of creation. So you see, it's not anything new to us that people would talk to you and, and, and question. Is it, you know, do you still believe that he's coming? Do you still put your trust in that? And then you have those that take advantage of the fact that Christians are waiting for the Lord to come with full expect, expectation that the Lord come at any time. And you got very clever and, and deceptive and, and devious, you know, uh, people who devise these deceptive schemes that, that claim that they have the inside scoop on the date when the Lord is coming again. And so they, they, they lure people into coming into their, their arena of, of belief. And oftentimes you get cults that start over that. But the fact is, what we gain is we are gained from this parable today and from God's word is that in the midst of all the forces working against us and those that are tempting us to give up hope and to, to, to not look to the coming of the Lord, we must, we must pray. We must keep on praying. Remember the Lord's words. I shared them before in Matthew chapter 24. 
in verse 44, where the Lord says, therefore, you also be ready. For the son of man comes at an hour that you do not expect. When the Lord comes, he's coming suddenly. He's coming quickly. He's coming unannounced. And the question for you and me is, is, are we ready? One of the best ways to be prepared for the coming of the Lord is to keep yourself in prayer. Always before the Lord, calling upon the Lord. And so as we look at, uh, go back to Luke chapter 18 as we move on into the parable there. And in my translation of the Bible here, I have the, the, uh, the subheading is the parable of the persistent widow. Jesus nails the purpose of the parable right in the first verse. You don't have to really wonder, what is this parable about? It says in verse one, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart. That God's people ought to always pray and don't give up. Don't lose heart. Jesus is coming again. And so as we move into the text here, we see that in addition to the purpose of the parable that is stated very plainly, succinctly by the Lord, we look at what I, I entitle as the, the, the plot, the plot of a parable. And of course, you remember, we've talked about the parables. Parables are, 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 are fic, fictional stories with fictional characters, some fictional settings. But even though they're fiction, they're they are given, particularly by the Lord, to use parables in a, in a very effective way to make a point, to teach a principle, a heavenly principle. Someone once said that parables are earthly stories that have heavenly meanings. And so as we look at the, the parable today, you'll see characters, very interesting characters and, and a setting, but, but they're fictitious, but they are intentional. And that's what we look at. So let's examine in the, in the plot of the parable. Let's understand the characters involved. First of all, the first one, an incredibly wicked judge. I mean, come on, folks. As we, as we look at the, the description that Jesus gives this judge, uh, I think you would come to the conclusion he would make Judge Judy look like a Girl Scout. Uh, this judge, who is, is incidentally a civil judge, he, he's residing or presiding over a civil court, not, not a religious court. He's presiding over the day-to-day matters and issues that come up between people. So in verse 2, Jesus said, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. That tells you something right there. Did not fear God or regard man. You know, in ancient biblical times, the use of that expression just right there would describe the most wicked and rebellious people in the whole culture. People who did not fear God, did not respect man. This was the judge. I have to be honest with you. When I read that description, one of the first personalities that popped in my mind was the Russian president, Vladimir Putin. I honestly believe as I look at the things that he is promoting and the hideous, uh, you know, inhumane, atrocities that he's allowing his soul or encouraging his forces to commit. And I, and I have to think in my heart, he's a man that obviously he doesn't even fear God. And he certainly has no regard for man. But I'm not here to preach to you today about the, the, the rights and the wrongs of the invasion of Ukraine or the personality of, Ukraine, of, of the Russian president. 
but I'm here to focus on this judge. Jesus describes this judge as a man who did not fear God nor regarded man. You know, in Psalm 47, 2, it says, for the, for the Lord, the most high, is to be feared a great king over all the earth. That was, that was a command and in, 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 in expression in the Old Testament. Surely he would have known that. But it is expected of man, all mankind, to have a deep respect for, a deep fear of Almighty God because he's the great king of all the earth. But not this judge. But not only that, it goes on, it tells us not only did he not fear God, nor had regard for man. And, you know, in that culture, that would have been translated, you know, that he would have been put to shame. Or when he talked about a person being shamed for doing bad, you know, uh, that was because they had a respect for humanity, fellow man. You wouldn't do things that other people would say shame on you. That would be, you know, that would be socially, you know, uh, downgrading to somebody to say, you know, that you you don't respect man. Therefore, shame on you. This judge didn't have a problem with people saying, you have, you know, shame. But that's the way the Lord introduces him. Basically, what the Lord is saying, this is an evil judge. He's trying to paint him intentionally to be one of the most sinister characters that you could ever think of. But then Jesus introduces the second and also equally interesting character in the parable that makes up this drama that we're looking at. Because in verse three, he says, now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he would not for a while, but after a while he said to himself, though I do not fear God or regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Well, to understand this, I call her an amazingly patient and persistent widow. But focus on her social role at that time because her situation is desperate. In first century Palestine, or for that matter, throughout the Roman Empire, for a woman to be a widow was a, was a position, a situation that, that brought with it desperation. She was, she was desperate. She had no man or person in a man's role in her life to be her advocate, which means she was very extremely vulnerable and could be taken advantage of, which obviously was the case as you listen to what she was appealing to the judge to do. Obviously, there had been those who had taken advantage of her and she was looking for justice for herself. So understand her predicament, her, and, and then to make it even worse, to be vulnerable, to be desperate, to be destitute. <laughs> Here she is, and her only source of hope is a judge who doesn't fear God or regard man. Her circumstances rendered her destitute. And remember that this is a parable with fictional characters, but she represents someone. She represents someone. Might I suggest for your consideration that this widow who is dependent and is weary and is helpless, and downcast, oppressed, 
tempted and taunted. Listen, she represents believers. She's waiting on justice. God's people are waiting on the coming of the glorious kingdom of God. And down through the ages, Christians have been looking ahead and yearning for him and praying for him. And, 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 and down through the ages, they have suffered at the hands of those who would taunt them and tempt them, oppress them, sneer at them. Think about how Satan and the secularists are smugly looking down their noses at, at, at contemporary Christians today who speak of and yearn for and, and sing about the coming of the kingdom of God. And they say sarcastically, you really don't think he's coming again. After all this time, just just give up. Just give in. Don't keep looking for the ridiculous. And folks, tragically, tragically, so many so-called Christians, so many churches, and even denominations have fallen prey to that kind of sneering and that kind of tempting. And they've given up on the whole idea that the Lord is coming again to establish his kingdom. For them, it's here. Enjoy it. This is all you're going to get. I feel sorry for anybody that thinks that, you, that the contemporary world that we live in is anything close to the kingdom of God. And so Jesus paints this woman here as desperate, as destitute. But folks, I got news for you. If we read as you read as you read further there, he paints her as doggedly determined. <laughs> I like that expression. I, I I haven't raised a pit bull. Don't get around them a lot, but I hear people talking about how what a pit bull with their massive jaws grabs a hold of what they want, whether that be a live prey or maybe a rubber tire, something, you know. But man, he says that, you know, it, they are dogged, determined, no pun intended, to hang on to that. This woman was doggedly determined that even against the odds, she was going to hold on to the hope that she could and would receive justice even from such a cold-hearted judge. And so now we move in and, and we begin to kind of unfold this even a little better as we understand the point of the parable. What is Jesus saying now? What is Jesus saying? First of all, the widow's persistent pleading proved to be productive. Could that mean that our persistent pleading, praying, could Prove productive. That's how you pray. You don't say lamely, thy kingdom come. Earnestly, fervently, oh God, Lord Jesus, oh, to see your kingdom, to see you come back and receive the body of Christ to yourself, to usher your kingdom, your glorious kingdom upon the earth that you reign. Now, it's interesting as I looked at verse 3 in the New King James. It's, it's kind of watered down a little bit. 
It says, now there was a widow in that city and she came to him. That's the New King James. I, I like the New American Standard in the ESV because it captures her persistence. It says, she came to him, but who kept coming? Maybe that's how you translate it. She came to him and she kept coming, which gives you the picture that she was coming again and again. Why does she have to keep coming? Because it tells us. Now, look at verse 3. Now there was a widow in that city. She came to him saying, avenge me of my adversary. And he would not. He didn't care. You can see him sloughing her off. First couple of times, no. No. Oh, it's you again. No. Oh, it's you again. Read my lips. You know? And, and so, but she kept coming. It kept coming. Now, parents, I'm sure this has never happened to you in dealing with your own children. But, you know, sometimes, you know, you may be at a shopping center or mall and they want something or maybe it's something at home that they want. And they come and they, you know, mama, daddy, Asher's grinning. I'm not talking about you, buddy, or say, okay. But can I? And, and, and the parent knows, you know, they know their children. They know where they're going. They know the outcome, and they'll just say no. Okay? And then maybe two minutes later, Mama, Mama, can I? No. Then another man, Mama, Mama, no. And then finally, you know, you get exasperated. They come back for you, Mama, Mama, yeah. Read my lips. No. If we can get exasperated, frustrated, here's this. Hard-hearted judge. And this lady is showing up. I can see him coming into his office. Secretary points over in the corner. She's back. She's back. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, what's it going to take? I'm, I'm a, I know I'm being a little bit dramatic. But the fact is, this wicked judge initially ignored and rejected her, but she kept coming back until he finally gave in and provided her the legal protection that he should have provided in the very beginning. And this chapter 22, verse 22, warned about neglecting the needs of the widows and the orphans. That was his duty according to the law anyway. But look, Look at his exasperated response in verse four. And he would not for a while, for a while. But afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God, nor regard man, as if that was his resume, as if he was proud of it. Yeah, I'm an evil old snob and, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, I'm the Grinch. Yeah, you know, but but you know what? Even as bad as I as I am, he says, yet because this widow troubles me, she's driving me crazy. She's getting on my nerves. Because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she wearies me. Now, I have to... I have to think that with his exasperated exclamation, 
there was a smile come across the Lord's face. Jesus had a sense of humor. He had, he had a sense of humor. So he's painting this dramatic event here. And, and so he doesn't, the judge has no conviction. It's not like he's thinking, oh, you know, I'm neglecting a widow. What's the matter with me? It's not that he shows any sign of repentance towards God. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. I, I just came to my senses and I realized I need to change my ways. There's no conviction. There's no, no repentance, but just pure exasperation. But that's and, and in his expression when he says there, you know, by her continual coming, she wearied me. Here's where the humor comes in, because that that expression, hupo piazzo in the Greek, literally means strike in the face, to treat roughly, to beat black and blue. And in our culture, you know, somebody show up with a black eye. I know when I was in school, you know, somebody show up with a black eye. I said, ooh. You know, someone, you know, somebody sucker punched him, you know, or her or whatever. You know, that's embarrassing walking around with a black eye. And, and, and so the judge is using that expression to say, lest she give me a black eye in the culture around her. When people, if people see how, what she's doing to me, I got to deal with this. She's beating me up emotionally. And I can just see the Lord kind of grin as he looks over at his disciples and winks. But that's not the point of the parable. We're getting there. Those are leading to that. Where Jesus is going is true believers will persist in praying for the Lord's coming. You see, Jesus is using the technique of comparison and contrast. He's comparing us to this persistent widow. That we would see that as we wait, as we yearn, and we look for the kingdom of God. We, like her, must maintain that same de dog-determined persistence to pray and to pray and to keep praying. The contrast comes in the character of the judge when you hold him up against God. And there's a purpose in that. Because what Jesus is saying, you look. He says, you know, when this woman keeps, the judge was saying, you know, when she keeps coming and, and badger me, he says, you know, I got to give in. But look in verse 7, he says, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, he will really will he really find faith on the earth. Believers must persist in praying and demonstrating that by our persistent prayer, we have an abiding faith that we know the Lord is coming again. We know he will establish his kingdom. 
Though we are tempted and taunted by the forces of sin and evil around us, we must keep our eyes on the Lord. You know, there's a beautiful description of saints doing that very thing. This is during the tribulation period, looking at the unfolding of the events of Revelation. But if you want to turn over to Revelation chapter 6, I want you to see this. You talk about those who were praying persistently for the Lord to establish his kingdom and to set things right. In, in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9, it says, When he opened the fifth seal, these are the seals that the Lord has opened in judgment. I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Remember, we're in the tribulation period. Believers are being slain left and right. And there's a place reserved for their souls when they leave this earth in such tumult and, 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 and violence and evil. And they're there in heaven. Their souls are there at that altar. And they cried, look at verse 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long? We know that the time is coming when you will establish your kingdom, but oh God, how long? And it says, and a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who had been killed as they were was completed. The Lord knew. He knew. He said he was telling those saints, their souls waiting on the establishment of his kingdom. He was saying, in essence, I know. And when the will of God has been worked out and the last soul saved, the last martyr slain, then I'm coming. And we'll see the rest of Revelation unfold. So as the world around us grows spiritually, Darker as, as people in general around us are more wicked and rebellious towards God. And as the, the forces of the devil appear to be gaining the upper hand. Listen, Christians. We, we don't despair. We don't compromise. We stand firmly and boldly on the promises of the word of God. The promises of our Savior and Lord concerning his coming again. And we pray. And we pray. And we keep on praying. Just as the Apostle John does at the conclusion of Revelation. Chapter 22 verse 20. John simply prayed. Even so. Come Lord Jesus. That's the prayer that ought to be on our hearts. But we don't just pray it rotely. We don't just pray it automatically as a ritual. We think about the kingdom of God. We think about the condition of the world in which we live. We, we look at how desperately mankind needs the establishment of the, of the blessed Messiah's kingdom. And, and so we plead with the Lord just like that widow did day after day. And Jesus is saying, listen. 
if that widow could eventually get justice from such a hard-hearted, cruel judge, don't you know that your father who is loving and caring and patient, don't you know he's going to hear your prayers? Your prayers never fall on deaf ears with our God. And I don't know when or how I'll leave this earth, but I do know this. If, if, if I leave this earth before the Lord comes to rapture his church, I wish the, the last dying words on my lips would be even so. Come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. You know, the Lord concludes this parable with words of encouragement to his disciples. When he said, look at verse 7, And shall God not avenge his only elect to cry out day and night to him, though he, hear, though he bears long with them? Yes, he will. The implication in that is yes, he will. Our Loving Father is absolutely opposite of the wicked judge. He hears our prayers. He wants us to pray. He cares about the things that we are concerned over. And by faith we wait. And by faith we pray. And by faith we trust him. Notice that the Lord closes the parable with a rather ominous challenge, I guess you would say. Look at verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when, not if, when the Son of Man comes. So Jesus is projecting. He knows he's coming again. When he comes to the earth, will he really find faith on the earth? Kind of makes you think about Noah's days, doesn't it? Kind of makes you think about Lot's days, and we talk about that. Could it be when the Lord comes back that so, so many people who once called themselves followers of Jesus Christ and fervent prayer warriors praying towards the kingdom suddenly are no longer looking towards heaven? With expectation. The Lord makes you think. How many people do you think the Lord comes today? How many people do you think you'll find in their prayer closet, on their knees, standing, doesn't matter the posture, calling upon the name of God and yearning, yearning, just like that widow was yearning for justice for the kingdom of God. How many people will he find? Will you be one of them? Is that a priority in your life? Is that a desire of your heart? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you open your word to us. By your Holy Spirit, you speak to our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for these simple and yet powerful parables that teach such dynamic principles and help us to understand even better how it is we should relate to you and how we should live our lives. Lord, I know I, I'm just like the next person. Sometimes it does get weary or wearisome. 
as we trod along through this life and the world and the condition that is that it is, and Lord, things begin to look so dim and dark. Oh God, shine brightly in our hearts by your spirit, the inspiration given to us in your word, that blessed hope that indeed you are coming again. That that one glorious day, Lord, we will indeed witness the establishment of the of the Messiah's kingdom upon the earth. We'll be a part of it. And then, Lord, when we see how you bring final judgment and you you create the new heaven and the new earth, and we are blessed and privileged to be eternal citizens of that glorious new Jerusalem and be in your presence forever. Oh God, oh God, help us not to lose sight of what is real and what is true and what is surely to come. Might you find us faithful. Might you find us faithful. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.